The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a great new documentary streaming now on Shudder and A&E Plus. It is called This is Guar, all about the infamous metal band who don't really consider themselves to be a band. They think of themselves more as an art collective who also create music. And if you don't know Guar, you will after this podcast. You'll definitely want to check out the documentary. And if you don't have Shudder or A&E Plus, you can get free 14-day trial by using the promo code This is Guar. G-W-A-R when you sign up. This is Guar in all caps and all run together as one word. Today we've got This is Guar director Scott Barber, filmmaker Tommy Avalone, a Talk is Jericho alumni. He was on a few years ago with the Bill Murray documentary he made. And Guar band members bassist Michael Bishop, also known as Blothar the Berserker. He's their singer now as well. And drummer Brad Roberts, a.k.a. Jismak Dagasha. We're talking about the band members' characters and what inspired them and their elaborate stage costumes and props, how long it takes to design, to build them, what it's like to travel with them on tour. And of course, we're talking about the spew, what it's made of and how spewing the audience actually got started. You'll also discover why Guar never really got a chance to open for other bands and what they had to do to get booked on music festivals in the States and in Europe. The guys also talk about losing band members over the years, including their leader, uh, driving force, former singer Dave Brocky, a.k.a. Odorous Rungus, who passed away back in 2014. That's actually what prompted the return of Mike Bishop to the band. He'll tell that story and why Brocky would have wanted the band to continue on. Here we go. It's the tried and true history of one of the longest running rock and roll bands in history. Uh, very famous and also still very underground. It's the making of and the story of Guar starting right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. All right, we'll just jump into it uh, and just uh, talk about the wonderful history of this amazing band. Great documentary that uh, just came out, This is Guar, done by uh, Talk is Jericho alumni Tommy uh, Avalon. How long? How many times have you been on the show now? Three? Well, this is my second time. Second time. Okay, great. But I'm, I'm ready for a third and fourth, so whenever you'll have me. We'll keep it going. And we got Scott Barber, who directed it, and we got Mike, and we've got Brad from Guar themselves, and Mike was uh, Blothar. Weren't you also Beefcake as well? I was, yeah, way back. Way back. And Brad, you were? Jizmac. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> drums and bass respectively, and now obviously the vocalist too. So first of all, what a great documentary. It's one of those things, by the time I got it, I've been trying to crash go through it. And I, I got to like the last 20 minutes, uh, right up to where, where the passing of Dave Brocky, the iconic, of course, lead singer of the band. But what kind of got you guys interested in doing a documentary on Guar? Go ahead, Tommy. Well, I, I known Scott since the Orange years. He made a documentary about Nickelodeon, uh, like the first couple years of the Nickelodeon uh, network. And I thought that was great. And he was like, I want to do next documentary about Guar. I was like, I love that idea. Like, it's me. Like, when I think, you know, a good amount of people like knew Guar from like Beavis and Butthead or Bam Margera and Empire Records. So to know the whole story of Guar was very, very interesting to me. Well, I mean, and it's quite a tale because once again, you're talking about a band and 30 years as, as a really big band that started out in such a unique way. And that's what I really loved about the documentary is seeing kind of the genesis of Guar. I really love the art school element of this to where it all started out basically just a bunch of guys, you know, creating these really cool pieces and wanting to wear them and play punk rock. Very unique, Scott. And was that something that kind of attracted you to this this band and this this legacy that they've created? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of keep a Google Doc of things I think would make a cool documentary. <laughs> and Guar was on there. You know, I've always thought Guar was awesome. Like pretty much anybody in the rock and roll community, that was, it seems like everybody likes Guar, whether you're into punk rock or metal or classic rock or whatever. And then, you know, I got a book by Bob Gorman called Let There Be Guar. And when I was looking at that, I was like, wow, this is not just a cool idea for a doc from like a visual standpoint, but the story there is incredible. It was, I always say like, all I had to do was not mess it up. You know, these guys lived such an incredible life. All I had to do was not mess it up. And so uh, everything kind of worked out at the same time. Uh, I'm really good friends with a guy named uh, Rocky Moon, who, who plays in a band called American Sharks. He was opening for Guar and he was actually talking about how this was way before I met anybody in Guar. He was talking about how he had Thanksgiving at Brad's house. <laughs> and I just thought, what would that be like? You know, I had no idea because that was another thing, you know, for the majority of their existence, they did uh, interviews in character. So not a lot of people knew the guys behind him. And I didn't really know that much beyond what I had researched and what I had read in the book. So just the idea of real people and Thanksgiving at uh, at Jizmax house just sounded awesome. So I reached out to Rocky and he reached out to them and that's what kind of got the ball rolling. I just have to point out the fact too that uh, Brad, his last name is Roberts, who is also the name of my old guitar teacher and singer of the Crash Test Dummies, Brad Roberts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. For a little while, I was receiving his royalty check, yeah. and then they realized <laughs> that I shouldn't get that big a check, so I had to send them back to Ace. So, Brad and, and Mike, I'm going to call you Blothar. That's a great name, Brad and Blothar. What was it like to see this documentary and this entire huge career of the band that you guys have put so much time and effort into? Well, I mean, we knew that the story of Guar. We've wanted to have a documentary. Uh, you know, it was very timely when we ran into into Scott through Rocky because we've known that that there was an interesting story there, and there isn't very much like Guar in that it's a cooperative of artists and musicians. So seeing it, ha having that realized, a, a, a filmed narrative about our existence, <laughs> it's humbling. I mean, it's really emotional. Um, 
that's what surprised me is that it, it's kind of hard to watch in some ways for us mm-hmm. because the band has been through a lot. One of the unique things about it is this level of, and I think that Scott does a really good job of showing that the level of, of commitment to each other in the band. I mean, that's definitely part of the story. And, you know, whether it's healthy or not, like mm-hmm. <laughs> war has always plowed ahead. It's kind of painful to watch, to realize, you know, when you're in the moment, you don't realize that there's that much trauma going on. Right. Then when you watch it spelled out like that, it's like, wow, we've been through a lot. Yeah, it was it was interesting to watch, especially in front of a crowd. We did a couple of premieres and oh, cool. And then seeing and then feeling the reaction like in the room as I'm having a reaction to the film about us. I was like, okay, this is a little surreal. This is kind of strange. And Scott did a really good job because if you can evoke any emotion out of the guys in the bar, <laughs> you've done an excellent piece of work. <laughs> there was something that I found really interesting in talking about when you left the band the first time, because you were originally the bass player, Beefcake, and now you're the singer, Blothar. But you talked about kind of this slave mentality about how after just a crazy story about the guitar player getting shot on the street and then they still made you guys go to this photo session the next day or whatever it was. And you realized that the, the band was more important than the individual. Was it always like that due to, to Dave, to, to Dave Brocky? Was that something he brought to the whole band or? or? The attitude that, that started Guar are unique, right? Like the slave mentality was really brought in by Hunter Jackson. Mm. And the idea was, it was almost like a, a test of your loyalty or of your, dedication to the band it was like you know how much time are you willing to they called it throwing down like you know (laughs) everybody get together and just sort of throw down on on making props and and making art so it was all there was always a kind of element of anonymity and selflessness in creating this group art project and i think that attitude just kind of never went away and that it did have some unhealthy manifestations and i think that might be one of them right is like we can't stop no matter what kind of personal tragedy uh happens but you know then at the same time it's like i mean who am i to judge because the uh, other guitar player Corey, uh, actually passed on on tour mm-hmm. and they kept going and if you ask the guys like that was you know to me i from the outside because i wasn't in the band at that time i looked at it and was like god how can they do that but for them, they talk about it being a way to heal, right? I mean, they, they were around each other and they, they didn't have to be alone. And, you know, that makes a, a kind of sense to me. Did that make sense to you, Brad, when that went down? It seemed, well, you know, of course, we sat in a hotel room freaking out. What the hell are we going to do? And, you know, of course, Dave was there at the time and he's such a, a great leader and can kind of rally you into whatever crazy idea he came up with. But, you know, you kind of put it in a way and we all kind of agreed that better to serve Corey and his widow and us was to really, and the fans was to sort of keep going. And I think if, I think Bob says it in the documentary, if we'd have just gone home to our individual houses, we would have had nervous breakdowns, but instead we just gathered around each other and brotherhood and finished the tour. Yeah. And, uh, and it seemed to do us some good and it seemed to serve, uh, more things than it would take away. You know, if we just quit or, you know, had to regroup or something. And that and that's just exactly like Guar Bishop's totally right in the fact that 
I mean, I missed the birth of my daughter because we were on tour in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see her for two weeks. So that is definitely a work ethic or whatever you might call it, a loyalty. And that was the old slave pit motto as well is don't talk about it, do it. And everybody on all of those early years, we were so young and hungry to do stuff. Everyone was saying we couldn't do stuff. So they would say we couldn't do it and we would just prove them wrong. We would just have to. It was like the moral imperative was like we had to do what people said we couldn't do. And and everything kind of went to the wayside to make that happen. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Scott, something I really enjoyed kind of seeing, because I remember I remember watching Guar on Much Music in Winnipeg when I was still living there, probably about 90, 91. So I've been with the kind of the growth of the band from the start and seeing the kind of pop culture, the influence that they've had and, and almost becoming part of this mid nineties pop culture movement. I'd kind of forgotten about that. It was really interesting to see just how also important something like MTV was to the success of the band. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. You know, we go into it that it was difficult, you know, MTV was kind of freaked out, kind of scared. And then Mike Judge put him on Beavis and Butthead, which I think is really cool. You know, we have Matt Pinfield in the doc, which is really cool. uh, Talking about how that was a really great way for Mike Judge to kind of backdoor bands (laughs) right to MTV. The same with White Zombie. You know, uh, they'll credit Beavis and Butthead for for making their career. That was another band that Beavis and Butthead liked, although Guar was their favorite. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one thing that was interesting to me, uh, I was kind of coming of age at that time. I was getting into music at that time, you know, in 1991, I was a preteen, you know, starting to get into music and um, music was changing. It was going from Poison and Motley Crue over to Nirvana, you know, in that right. those years, like 91 to 94, when I was really learning more and more about Guar, I love how they were the polar opposites of both. Like, how does that make any sense? How can you be the opposite of two things that are already <laughs> opposite, you know? And I thought that was really cool that they were... The two trends that were happening right now, they weren't anything like either of them. And then, you know, you look at them and they can never be dated. You know, they can never be dated like a like a hair metal band or a grunge band or whatever. Well, and, and, and it's interesting, once again, just talking about the Mike Judge, how he was able to kind of program his own music onto Beavis and Butthead. And Beavis and Butthead were so popular that they allowed that. Because as much as, like you said, it helped Guar and helped White Zombie, it also like completely destroyed like Winger. Like Winger was oh, yeah. done. Because of Beavis and Butthead, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he tried to sue them. If I'm if I'm correct, I think Winger tried to uh, tried to do something <laughs> against them. Yeah. No, Brad, and I'm I'm not sure if it, it, both are if you were still in the band at the time. But how was that for you guys? Was it kind of like because once again, here is just a bunch of art school guys, punk rock guys, and suddenly you're becoming one of the biggest bands in America. Was it kind of an overnight thing after Beavis and Butthead, or, 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 or let me rephrase it: Did Beavis and Butthead take things to a completely different level, or you recognized it right out of the gate? I didn't recognize. I about the point you made when the music was shifting from hair metal to grunge. 
we were right in this position with a brand new record deal with Metal Blade. That we were mixing the record, and we went down to Virgin Records in Manhattan, and we bought Nevermind, and we put it on the studio. And we really thought at that position in time that music was going to definitely take a new direction. Hair metal was over, but we weren't sure what the next thing was. And Guar really thought it was kind of poised to like be a thing that would be mainstream, even though our lyrical content is not very mainstream. <laughs> but as soon as we put that record on in the studio, we were just like, it's over. <laughs> that's what it's going to be. It's going to be this crap. You know, this Nirvana, that's what it's going to be. I don't know if we thought it was disappointing at the time, but Guar always knew it wasn't really a mainstream animal. But uh, we thought there was a pocket for us, at least in that moment, that we could really, really gain some traction. And because grunge took off so quick, I think Guar might have been forgotten about if it wasn't for Mike Judge Beavis, but because that came right after and like kept us in the game somehow. And so it was super important, I think, in that in that part of our career. It's also been more more sort of cumulative. You know, in the moment, it didn't really transform things for us because we were already, I mean, we were doing pretty well. And, you know, I think we escalated a little bit, but it's more like the long-term effect of that, where it's like people come up to us all the time and say, we saw you for the first time on Beavis and Budhead, but all of our contracts and everything were already in place. So it didn't really like change the world for us or anything. But over time, just hearing how many people that was where they heard about us, it's we're so grateful uh, to Mike for, for helping us that way. What I always found was interesting about Guar is like how they always had these couple year check-ins. You know, it's like Alex Winter's like Idiot Box or Joan Rivers show. He was in Butthead. Empire Records was it for me. Like seeing that. Right. You guys in that movie, it was like, oh, that's amazing. And like later with Bam or Jerry Springer, all these different shows is every one couple years. There's like, you guys were on the Daily Show. It's like, it's just always like, oh, right. Guar, they're still awesome. We're like herpes. We never go. <laughs> was was the idea when you went and did, because once again, you mentioned Joan Rivers and being on like the Jerry Springers and even just normal. I remember once again, remember the much music interview where, you know, Odorous Yerungus is, is an alien from another planet. And there's like, and like what the fuck are these guys talking about? Staying in character was the, the key that early on. Was it hard to do that all the time? Or did you guys have a blast pissing people off and confusing people with these over-the-top cartoon characters come to life with all of these ridiculous horror movie alien masks and that sort of a vibe. I think we had fun with it. Yeah. I, and we still have fun with it. I will say that that sort of anonymity was almost required in Guar, right? To the point, I will say, even to the point that, like, I remember Hunter Jackson getting angry with me for walking on stage out of costume before the band played to like check on my like you know the fan that you put on stage right. like you know he's like oh yeah you just want people to see you you know it's like <laughs> what if i did you know <laughs> like, I mean, the hell is wrong with that so it's a it's a weird very different kind of ethos you know well it was interesting too when you talked about like because once again the, the stage props just got bigger and bigger and crazier and wilder as the band got bigger too. And then you're talking about, you know, cops showing up and arresting guys from the show that you're putting on. And, and the, the great scene that we can probably discuss a bit is the, the priest with the fake ass getting every single kind of, you know, implement shoved right up there. 
Kind of tell us about that night from your memory about what we guys were doing. And Scott, you can join in too, because you obviously have produced and, and directed and cut this all together. It's a great moment to just show how far out Guar was and how at the time it was still obscenity laws, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we had done the butt bouquet. That's what we called it. Like, you know, just piling things into Bohab's butt. <laughs> but all of a sudden we saw, I saw police come into, you know, it was Jesse Helms. He ran Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was a big political boss down there. And he was a very, he was part of the sort of moral majority thing that was had been going on in the nation. Although at the time, if you remember, I mean, the Democrats were just as involved in censorship as, as anybody else. But uh, old tipper, mm-hmm. right? But what we saw was, you know, the, this line of cops come in the back of the club, and then the next thing you know, the ones who came on stage, they were sort of detectives, right? So they all sort of looked like ill-fitting Barney Miller suits, like with the, <laughs> the ties unloose. <laughs> we're like, who are these dudes? Like. You know, and then it very quickly became clear that they were police, but not at first. I mean, yeah. I remember there was a kind of side dressing room over there, and they made uh, Dave, the singer, take off everything, all of his costume, anything that would have given it context, mm-hmm. right? Except for the big dick, right? So he took off his mask, he took off his shoulder pads, he took off his all of the pieces except for that. Uh, and then they started photographing him. And I remember saying, that's really unfair, you guys. What are you doing? Like, you know, and they were like, shut up. I kind of remember getting tipped off. Like someone came backstage, like the cops are here, the cops are yeah. here. So I just remember throwing my costume off as quick as I could <laughs> to just be like, I'm just hanging back here. You know, like, to literally get out of being arrested. And I wasn't sure why they were there. I'm just in a loincloth. I always wear that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just hanging. <laughs> was there a lot of uh, incidents like this, Scott, that you came across with a lot of police and then protesting and that sort of thing when Guar came to town? Uh, yeah. And, you know, one thing that Guar did that was so awesome uh, for the movie is the amount of archival footage that we got was a documentarian's dream. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are artists. Like, making movies was part of what they did. So. There was so much footage and that was so much fun, you know, especially to get to hang out at the slave pit. Just I had a VCR that was plugged into my laptop and we were just transferring VHS, mini DVs, like everything you could ever imagine. So we came across so much crazy stuff like that. And it was really fun. There's a part in the documentary where it kind of starts with that story and then kind of leads into a montage of all the other times that that's happened, (laughs) either when they've been censored or like news clips of people saying how horrible and awful they are. Uh, And, you know, Bob Gorman, he read me a bunch of letters (laughs) that they got. That was hilarious. Just reading all the letters from the different people that were just telling them how awful they were. I mean, you got to have that in a Gore documentary. Sure. I mean, what would it be like without a bunch of square people saying this is the most <laughs> awful thing I've ever seen. You know, it's, it's interesting too. I really enjoyed kind of watching the evolution of, of you guys as a band, as players, you know, and getting some new guys in. Cause at first it was, it was a punk rock. You, they mentioned the other guys, they couldn't even listen to their first record after they recorded it. We, I'm a musician too. I'm in a band because I'm a wrestler. How dare you be in a band? Well, we got to go fucking record. So shut up. I understand why people will be against Guar because you wear masks and all these props. As players, though, did you ever think, like, we're going to show these fucking guys that we can really play? 
I think that's what Scum Dogs was about because the lineup changed. And yeah, I mean, it's always kind of sucked that people do that or dismissive of war in that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of think every time we do a record, we think that. It was weird though, like in the very beginning, like Hello Era, if you watch it, the way that we handled that was that everybody just overplayed all the time. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, look, you know, we're great. And so you wind up sucking because you don't want people to think you suck, you know? Yeah. But luckily we, we figured it out and kind of calmed it down some over time. And, you know, but I mean, that's one thing that I think keeps more fresh is that the band always has something to prove because you're never going to be better than that stage show. It's never going to, you're never going to write music that blows that out of the water. You know, we have learned, though, that leaving space for music, even musically, right, like not singing over everything and leaving some space in the set where the band is just playing, those things do draw attention back to music. So it's almost like a, a skill that we've learned over time. So it's the same for you, Brad, being the drummer for all 30 years? It's really hard, like you said, visually guar is an onslaught and you get hit in the face with real fluids and it's mm-hmm. it's so visceral and like how is you know 90 percent of our perception is through sight so how is music gonna top that when you when you see it for the first time you know so but you have to hey look if the music wasn't good it wouldn't last 30 years it would just be a puppet yeah. show you know so it's not that and i think uh you know the music was a big part of sort of keeping the visuals going as well but obviously you know, anyone watching it, it's probably a secondary thought because they're just so mm-hmm. blown away with what they're seeing, especially because it's so obscene. It's just over the top and yeah. nobody else looks like that. I mean, it's just it's like being in a real movie. Yeah, I will say that there are certain things that people should know about how hard it is to be in Guar, right? Like <laughs> Balsack, the Jaws of Death. I mean, he can't see his guitar at all. He hasn't. He's never seen right yeah he's just playing blind man and <laughs> and he doesn't up you know i mean he's good at it so yeah imagine how great we could have been if we were <laughs> we actually see <laughs> like we would could have been really good yeah. now i've 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 dared some peers of mine to just wear my helmet and play one of your own right. songs for a minute and they're just like they've done it and they were just like no way get this thing off me no and, th- and that's the thing i mean once again you're talking about you know kiss or slipknot or guar you you have a lot of stage, you know, where that, you know, ACDC and Rolling Stones don't have to worry about, right? So there is diff, there's that attitude as well. Let me ask you this, this just popped in my head. With all of that bodily fluid being shot around, does the stage get slippery and wet? Is that something you got to always keep in mind as well? <laughs> we put down carpet okay. yeah. so that we don't die. But I'm still surprised every time we play a show that someone in my band hasn't been electrocuted yeah. by wearing an electric guitar and all the fluids. I was like, they get hit with that stuff all the time. And I was like, how did you not get shot? Right. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was a learning <laughs> process too. Like we had to figure out what material, I mean, cause we started off using Cairo syrup, you know, mm. we started off with a lot of bad decisions that we over time sort of figured out, okay, well, we'll just use water and food coloring, try your best not to get it on the equipment and on the players. But yeah, I mean, the stage doesn't get slippery, but it gets soggy and, yeah, you know, it's definitely wet. I, I very, I'm very wet. I've ruined a lot of in-ear monitors. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Scott and Tommy, when you're putting together the, the documentary, was it interesting to see the evolution of the props? Because you have the early, it reminds me of like the early Iron Maiden where Eddie was just kind of a guy on the wall behind the drums that would vomit blood. And now Eddie's, you know, walking across the stage and with a samurai sword and shooting guns and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's a completely different show. Talk a little bit about the evolution of what you noticed about the props itself. I thought that was really cool too. And I, I always thought that would be something that you know, those people that knew them from Empire Records and Beavis and Butthead, even people that, you know, were rock and roll fans that liked Guar but just didn't know a lot about him, was that early footage. You know, it's so mm. cool and interesting looking where their faces were shown, you know, and it was paper mache. Like, I just thought a lot of people hadn't seen that. And I thought it was so interesting and and weird looking. And there's so many people, and I don't want to go into this too much because it's not my place, but just what I saw as an outsider it almost feels like Guar is like Jenga, you know? And <laughs> if you had removed any of those pieces, it wouldn't have been quite what it was. There is no Kurt Cobain of Guar, you know, mm. that's like, that's the dude. There's a lot of people that were huge, you know, and maybe some pieces of the Jenga were bigger than others, but Don Draculich, uh, he was, you know, essentially from what I understand, I don't want to, speak but what's in the documentary dave brocky's punk band and hunter jackson's movie combining you could kind of say those are the fathers creators of guar hunter and dave but then you know don draculich was the one that introduced latex making latex you right. know and and spew latex costumes and spew are kind of it seems like they're kind of a big deal for guar you know and then um bishop coming in and and being the guy that was kind of like we need to get a, a real band together i was i was blown away by how many people said that they were recruited by bishop that are in the band to this very day that have been in the band for 30 plus years <laughs> brad dirks bob those are all like linchpins of guar that i thought that was really cool that he was the guy that kind of went around and and did that and then you know like you were talking about with scum dogs brad and dirks bringing what they brought to it was insane mm -hmm. and they've been there ever since you know they're the two longest running members and so you know everybody brought their own thing and all the different flattest maximus and pustulus that they've had all seem to bring a different flavor you know casey Orr coming from rigor mortis bringing in that other style of metal bob and matt you know and then all those original guys chuck varga delaney bonner like all of the scott crawl that all added their own thing i was blown away by how all of the artists had their own little thing that they were good at you know don seemed to be good at making somebody that was real you know trump paris hilton you know and bob's really good at the metal work and stuff like that like i really thought that was really cool and interesting to learn so yeah looking at the evolution and going along with all the different members i was super fascinated with the fun thing for me for this doc was that i did not direct it so like i didn't have to like be super obsessed with all this or, like scott like he did everything. This is like, you know, he was shooting sometimes, directing, editing, 
And so for me, like I was able to kind of just see things and kind of help where I can. And so like just seeing some of this early footage of like the guys, like I love scenes. Like I love the idea that these guys were all in, like, at the dairy in this one spot kind of coming up with the stuff together. So it was fun to see where all this stuff came together. And I was able to like add, you know, whatever notes I could. But like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just the fact that I had no idea that Guar got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. And the, and the way they showed up, like... Like I remember doing like stunts like that in high school and the fact that these guys are like professionals still doing this stuff and like being that sort of like punk rock style <laughs> was like, I was like, I love this. Like I just, I could identify with that. And I just think like seeing that on the screen and seeing people just still being that like, damn the man, not to make an empire records joke, but like, <laughs> it was just really fun to watch. And I love that. That was the spirit of Guar throughout those 30 years. Two time Grammy losers. <laughs> Guar. Let's talk about that. The night that you were nominated for Phallus in Wonderland, along with MC Hammer and whoever the hell else it was, Madonna or whatever. Guar at the Grammys. Tell us about that. Mike, do you have the original? Do you remember the original quote you gave to the LA Times? Do you remember what you said? I do. I it mean, was awesome. It was a different time. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> what I said, well, yeah, it was a meaningless accolade bestowed by a retarded child. That's what I said. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's funny because my dad, like, you know, he's a a man's man, sort of, you know, he was an actual NASCAR race driver and oh, cool. right on. mechanic. And he's sitting uh, <laughs> that that nomination was the only time that he was like, because normally he would just be like, you ought to play country music because then you'd make some money instead of this stupid crap you're doing. Right. That was the only time that he was like, Oh man, that's great. A Grammy. And then why'd you have to say that stuff and ruin it? You know, he got so mad. At me. <laughs> Just like you. <laughs> what was it like the night of the ceremony? Were people uh, staring at you? Did you stand out? Oh yeah, man. I mean, we, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on, but they just said, you can come, just don't come in costume. And of course we showed up in costume and the funniest thing, which is the story I always tell is, you know, Brocky walks in in full odorous gear. And then we see Patrick Stewart up on the balcony <laughs> and you're supposed to with celebrities. I mean, you're not supposed to <laughs> scream out, hey, look, it's Chris Jericho. Hey, you know? right. So <laughs> that's exactly what he did. He's like. Jean-Luc Picard as I live and breathe, you know. <laughs> Patrick Stewart just looks down and he says, someone should do Shakespeare. <laughs> a wonderful baritone you have. <laughs> it was fun, man. It was a lot of fun. We we made it as far as the, the foyer yeah. of the Shriners. Like, they wouldn't let us into the auditorium that way. And then there was enough commotion by us in that area where we actually got booted from the building. So. As you do, that's punk rock. Get kicked out of the Grammys. <laughs> uh, we, we've talked a few times about Dave Brocky and, and kind of mentioned that there was no Kurt Cobain, but seemingly he was the leader of the band. And, and I don't even know how you even asked this question, but when he passes away, do you ever think, okay, that how do we continue on after this? Or was it always just, we're going to keep going no matter what? It was because the leader told us to. <laughs> he was like, that's what he always thought. It would last forever, well beyond all of us. We'd heard him say it enough times. And same thing again, under really bad circumstances. How do we honor Dave? 
we got to keep doing this thing he dedicated his entire life to. Like Dave Brock, he lived and breathed and ate Guar every single day. And, you know, we did our best to do the same, even though we've all had side jobs for many, many years while we've been in this band. And that's what we did. Was it hard to find another singer? Because I know there was a few before Blothar finally came in. And, and, and how did you end up coming back into the band, Bloth? Well, you know, I mean, when, when Dave passed, originally we had the barbecue scheduled, which, and we were like, I mean, I had come up here to hang out with the guys when he died and I had become involved on just kind of a personal level again uh, with what was going on. And, you know, they were trying hard to deal with all of it. And it was very difficult. We decided, look, we'll keep this date. And they asked me to sing for that, right? Just give it a shot. And I didn't imagine that they would want me to sing war songs that Dave sang. I thought they would want me to sing the ones I sang and then do some covers or something like that. Mm -hmm. But really what they had in mind was like, yeah, I mean, just try singing these tunes. And, and we did it and it worked. Like you could hear that it, it sounded good. And, you know, the, there's so much around war. I mean, there's so, so many parts and pieces of it that it still felt like the band to do. But I mean, the question of whether or not we should keep going, I mean, that was the central question of the album the blood of God, you know, it's like, should we keep doing this? Yeah, we should, you know, and, but we, that, that was a hard record to make, man. I mean, we had to make a Guar record without Dave Brocky. Mm -hmm. The fact that we were able to do it, I think, is one thing that really let us know that we should keep doing it. But I, I was very honored when they asked me to sing but like I said, I mean, it felt temporary up until about a year in. <laughs> they were like, oh, okay, this is going to last. I mean, there's no way to replace a guy like Dave. So we went right to one of the original members of Guar and asked Mike to come back because that's the only thing that made sense to us. And that's the only thing any of our true fans would ever respect. If we threw anybody else in a costume right. and say, you're the new singer of Guar, we wouldn't last half of one record, nothing. And they all, and also, Dave seemed to just have this idea that we just had to do this, you know? And I put a lot of effort, and so did Mike here, into that record, not only to prove it to the fans, but just to prove it to ourselves mm -hmm. that we could make and still sound like Guar and maybe even be not just a different Guar, but maybe even a better one. And every time I listened to stuff off of that record, I was like, Dave would love this song. Dave would love this one. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm glad. I'm glad we did that. That record's nuts, man. It's so awesome. That's like front to back. You know, you can listen to that whole thing. I love, I always wondered that because I just think that record is amazing. And I wondered if, I just imagined you guys sometimes being like, we got to make this. You can feel the passion and you can also feel just how hard you guys are playing and how it's just, so incredibly tight you know and to go back to uh you know their lives already feeling like a movie what are the odds that you've got this one person who one is going to have the street credibility right to have their fans be like okay i'll i'll respect that but it's also like really really good at singing you know and already sang in the band so it's not like it's hard to get used to and and this is just from a, a fan point of view one of the first songs I ever heard was Road Behind <laughs> on Beavis and Butthead. And I always thought it was cool how 
Bishop and Brocky's voices were incredibly different and how well it meshed in that song. I wonder if for fans and, and certainly for me, just as a fan, the fact that, you know, Michael Bishop's voice is nothing like Dave Brocky's to me helps separate the two. It's, well, it's sure. It's, it's a Brian, it's a Brian Johnson, Bon Scott thing that they have similarities, but they're completely different sounds. Sure would be nice to have some of that baritone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of that. I'm sure, too, because you were in the band prior, that the fans, like you said, gave the street cred, gave the personality. You know, And it's not like Dave quit the band. He's, he's gone. It's like, it's like the, the Pantera celebration, the people complaining about it. It's like you got the right players from a personal standpoint and from an ability standpoint, so either we continue on and hear these tunes right. or you never hear them again. And I'd much rather hear... Guar songs again with Michael singing. So I'm sure that helped a lot with the fans as well. Yeah. But in the scene in the movie where Mike, you know, you're talking about like he's out of the band. It's, it's in wrestling terms. It's like totally goes over. Like if the baby face happens when he's like, mm-hmm. let me heal you. Like you just feel that family sensibility of Guar and like a brother coming back. And it's like one of my favorite scenes outside of the Grammy scene uh, where it's like, he's just like, let me heal you. And I just think that's such a great like brotherly thing to do for not just like, like a band or this, whatever it's, it's for his friends. This is these people he came up with, you know? Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Scott, as a documentary filmmaker, and Tommy as well, obviously you're always looking for the stories within the story. What, what, other, what other things did you find in this movie that, that kind of took you in a direction that you weren't sure about when you first started making the movie? Well, you know, um, the brotherhood like that, mm. that's what really I was really blown away by and what really made us want to put that up front in a lot of ways. You know, it, we were really drawn to it by the fact that they're not a band. You know, there's something else. They're an artist collective, you know, that it started as a movie. Right. And so that was one thing we knew we wanted to focus on was the fact that it's not a band showing that it's it it operates in a completely different thing. And then once we started interviewing them, it's like, oh, even before that, it's like the relationships that they've created all these years. That was something that we knew, you know, should be up front. And it was something that influenced the editing you know, the editing is not real punchy, like a lot of documentaries, because, you know, I got the pleasure of getting to know all these folks and fell in love with them and was fascinated by how different they all are. And But they're all different, but they're all really cool and fascinating. And we knew that you had to spend enough time with each of them to get a feel for their personality so that whenever they go through hardships, you feel it with them. If anybody goes through something that you hear about, you know, if you hear about something happening you know somebody's mom passes away and you don't know them that's sad but when it's like your friend or your mom it's a different story right and so that was something that we really wanted to do and it's something i'm really proud of there's a couple of shots in there that maybe would hang a little bit longer than another documentary would but i think it it helps emphasize the point 
And, you know, when we went into it, we were thinking of all these different creative ideas, you know, are we going to tell the story backwards? Is it going to be linear? Are we going to do all these kind of weird things? And we were like, you know what, just let these guys tell their story. And that's crazy enough that the editing needed to be more straightforward. So it didn't fight for the craziness of their story. You know, one had to be simple. So the other one could be nuts. It was interesting too. It's like, you know, with Guar, it's not just the musicians that are in the band, like all everyone who builds and there's like, mm. there's, there's so many other people that are also like create equals in there. And it's, it's all these different kinds of artists that are just a part of this project. It's interesting. You mentioned the brotherhood, like for example, when, when it still confuses me, the story where the guys got shot on the street, the, 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 he got shot. Then the, tires blow up from the car and then the car that was chasing you guys pulls up with the guys getting out with guns and, and and everyone runs but the one guy who shot can't run so Dirk stays back with him something like that really stuck with me or when Brocky passes away the dude wanted to call everybody himself you need to hear this from me and that's stuff that you know guys that uh, in the day jobs are cutting off heads and shooting jizz in the crowd you would really expect from them but it really was part of the overall story there. Definitely. We talk about spew, <laughs> which of course is all of the liquids that get shot into the crowd. I remember in like 1987, I went to Alice Cooper concert and there was these two girls. I was right near the front. They were wearing these really fancy ski jackets, which are called sun ice at the time. And they had no idea what they were getting into when Alice cut the freaking head off. And suddenly their nice sun ice jackets are covered in fake blood. When people come to your gig, do you still see people that don't know what they're going to be getting themselves into? I think so. Yeah. I think they get lured there like lambs, yeah. like sacrificial lambs <laughs> by like their uncles or their older brothers yeah. or, or their dads or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing better, nothing better than watching people watch Guar the first time. Like, you know, I mean, without a doubt. And 98% of every fan you meet will start his story when he meets you of the first time I saw Guar, it was blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the most impressionable event. You know, you can see Guar 50 times and still enjoy it. But the first one, you don't ever forget that. I think it was Thomas Lennon who we interviewed in the movie. He was talking about how he knew of Guar, but when he first went to see Guar, they're like, you want to go up front? He's like, nope. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I would rather not do that. <laughs> What's your uh, uh, favorite stage prop? Because there's been a lot of them over the years. All four of you guys can answer. Your favorite or most disgusting Guar on stage uh, prop? You want to start, Scott? You know, one of my favorites is a new one, and that's Dickie Duncan. I was just always fascinated by, you know, the fact that there's a song and uh, a new character that were at the same time. I thought that was really neat, the the music and the stage show. And then the intricacy of it, you know, it's two guys that are forming this grimace type character <laughs> that then, you know, Blothar splits in half. And it's the two guys that bounce off and. And just the creativity of it all, you know, the fact that they're both one half of it and their inside arm becomes like their intestines and stuff like that. And then Blothar also pulls his eye out and it kind of slaps back to me. It was just so intricate and so weird. And also, you know, I got to see it like right up close. That was one thing I always say. I was like, I got really spoiled because I was even before the front row. You know, I was in that little media area you know getting to film all of these i got to film like four or five shows there and it's like 
God, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, getting to see that up front, I just thought that was, uh, was really cool. Brad? There are a lot of really, really big props that do great stuff. Dickie Duncan's a great example. Uh, but the one that always disturbed me, and it didn't really disturb me, but I always just thought was just might be so crazy for the kids in the front row is when Slymenstra, who played by Danielle Stamp, she would just like bend over and kick her leg up. And there would just be this straight shot of spew coming out of her crotch <laughs> into the front row. And like minutes before that, all the guys in the front row were just like, she's so sexy. I love her. I got to have her. And then she does the grossest thing. And then they all run screaming from the stage because they're all like young kids. So that kind of element in Guar was like, oh, I want it. I love it so much. And then you're just like, ah, oh, God, it's so terrible. <laughs> And that happens all in the same moment. So <laughs> if you're the guy in the front row, that that's pretty exciting. But I, when Danielle would do that, I would be like, that's the that's moment that's happening to these people right now. They want her, and now she's going to kill them. <laughs> One thing to tack onto that, you know how I, I was saying all I had to do was not mess it up. <laughs> Every time we would play that in the theater, because we show that, and that gets a laugh. And I didn't have to do anything. Just play that clip of her <laughs> bent over with her leg up, escorting people, and it gets a laugh. And I did absolutely zero work other than play that clip. What do you think, Tom? Me, it's my first love. It's like the Empire Records. It's when uh, Ethan Umbre goes, gets sucked into that thing. And we got to interview him, and we talked about how he's like, I don't think I was the first one in <laughs> yeah. that thing. That, that You know, it's, he was just talking about how like gross and smelly it was, but awesome at the same time. What do you think, Mike? That's really cool about that prop too, the world maggot, which is under my drum riser. You know, when you come to the Guar show, it's interactive because in the front row, you're going to get hit. But that was the way that Guar, when they created that monster, that we could actually bring fans on stage. So we're interacting nice, with fans yeah. on stage and it would move. You know, there was a guy in it and so it would move and it would <laughs> grab slaves and grab girls. And so that was just like another level like, oh, I don't have to be in the crowd just to get FaceTime. I can actually get brought on stage. If you're a cute enough <laughs> guy or girl and get fed to that thing. So I think it was my band's way to like try to meet hot girls. And then as soon as they went through the maggot and they came out the back end of my drum riser, they all just ran screaming off stage. Like, ah, that was terrible. <laughs> and there was nobody backstage when we got off stage. I always like, I mean, Gorgor, of course, is impressive. The dinosaur. But the one that I really liked, I like the aspects of Guar where it's sort of like the old style practical effects, special effects, you know, the dedication to that. And Hunter Jackson made what looked like a big television. And on the television was a preacher. We called him Oral Swallow. He was like a, a televangelist. And then out of nowhere, at the end, the television is actually a giant robot. So it stands up, you know, and it was about 12 feet tall. I mean, or maybe even more. And it was just so impressive. That was my favorite. We called it Cardinal Sin. That was the name of that character. <laughs> Do you guys like, um, you have a team of people that you work with to come up with new ideas, new props? Is it the guys in the band? Do you have like a set designer that you've been working with for a long time? It's the, the people in the band. I mean, the artists, you know, over the years... Chuck Varga, Hunter Jackson, Dave Brocky was one of the only musicians who was also a, a visual artist. And then, uh, you know, Dave Muscle, Mike Bonner, all of the, you know, over the years, we had a, a big group of artists that were stage performers, 
and sculptors and painters. Now we have uh, Matt McGuire and Bob Gorman and Margaret helps us out a lot too. Yeah, it's just a dedicated group of, uh, of artists. When you go overseas, do you have to ship all the props over? Do you leave some over there? We tried that. <laughs> we had in the past. We left stuff in Germany at a warehouse. And, you know, the problem with some of the latex stuff is that it's degradable. <laughs> you know, like we get over there and it'd just be a big lump of goo. But we've left, you know, gear and drum sets and things, spew tanks over there. Spew tanks. And, um, you know, over the years, we've brought some of that stuff back and we don't have too much over there now. We're, we're about to go to Europe. Everything gets uh, thrown into big hockey bags and and on a flight we go. I love the very beginning of the movie where you got that old school brother talking about the spew tanks and how there's like no more maggots in the in the hoses. Was that a, did that happen? <laughs> Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're filming Skullhead Face, which is our full length feature, and it's in like nineteen ninety-three, and there's this big monster in it called the flesh column i mean it's operated by like four guys and boat oars and the thing is huge but what they didn't do from the previous tour was they didn't clean out the tank so the non-dairy creamer is in there oh shit and and it's rotten from like three months ago from a tour and they start oh. filming us battle this flesh column and it's terrible like danielle's puking we're all like stop reset throwing our costumes off it was nasty <laughs> and that's what he means by the maggots and the tanks because if you don't clean those things out stuff grows guar has got so much stuff fertile things for maggots <laughs> to grow in it's not funny yeah and we put that stuff on our bodies <laughs> right and it smells it smells horrible <laughs> it really smells horrible i'm, I'm convinced you know because for a while i was going on fox news the gutfeld show oh yeah I, that's right I saw you on there. And then he was like, uh, yeah, there's the wrestler guys on there too. And, yeah. But they, they were like, uh, you got to come up here and, um, and do it in person. And I was like, yeah, okay. So we go up and sure enough, I haven't been back since because it just, I know that it smelled so bad, like, like that costume. <laughs> and they're all just sort of rolling their eyes and looking at me. It's like, what can I do? Quar's like Jimmy John's free smells. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Last couple of questions for you guys. Um, what is it about Guar that that's endured for so many years? Why why are fans still so into Guar? Like I said, the last three decades, in your opinion, Scott. Well, you know, I think they've just done an incredible job of being loyal to their fans. You know, they know how much their fans love them and they love them back. You know, they do this thing. You know, these guys get to the sh the arena or the uh, the venue at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, they don't roll in at five like most fans. They get there at 10 in the morning. They bust their ass because they have to, like they were saying, put carpet down, put the the rubber over all the, the monitors and get it, make sure everything works. And Mike Dirks is up there setting up his own amp and stuff. I mean, 
in the limited amount of time I've seen, uh, you know, rock bands, I've seen a pretty small bands not do that, you know, and for somebody who has that, uh, that much experience could be a diva if he wanted to, and he's not anyway, they, they bust their ass all day and then they still make time for their fans. Their fans come in and get to watch them soundtrack. They get to take pictures with the guys and have them sign stuff. And then, and then, you know, they get to watch the show and then, I think it's what, maybe 30 minutes before they, they go on stage, they get to go back and take pictures with the guys in costume and then they get to be killed on stage. You know, I mean, that's pretty awesome. You know, I think that's at every single show. So they're incredibly loyal to their fans. And then, you know, they've, like I said, they've got this thing that's just, they can't be dated, you know, and everybody likes them. They've got this, they're parodying metal while also celebrating it. So no matter what you like, you're going to like them. I mean, more important than that, there's just nothing like them. So there's always going to be new people finding out about them and falling in love with them. It's interesting, too, just thinking about all this. Obviously, you guys probably have never opened for anybody. You have to headline your own shows. Yeah, we do. But, you know, there are people who can pull it off. And we opened for Danzig. Oh, wow. Yeah, on like two of his very first shows. Way back when, when he just had just started, you know, doing the Danzig solo stuff. Right. And I mean, the Misfits or, you know, any big metal band, they can pull that off. You know, they, they really can. The big problem is convincing them that it's worth the hassle, right? Because there's going to be so much, you know, they got to cover everything. And it has to be people, you know, somebody that really likes the band. But we would love to open for other people, you know. Uh, if we could. How do you do it when you play festivals, for example? We just do it, man. I mean, we put that down a lot That was the proving of, ground. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, that was the proving ground. Like, we weren't getting booked on a lot of festivals. And the festivals seemed to be, like, the thing that was keeping at least our genre of music alive in Europe and the States. And we were like, booking agent, you got to get us on these festivals. And they didn't think we could do a changeover that quick. Right. And so we just, like Guar always does, we just make it work. So we can do the changeover quick so we can play on any stage at any festival and be on and off stage within a half an hour. Right. That's a regular changeover time. So what's the plan for the documentary, Scott and Tommy? It's out right now on Shudder. If you have a Shudder or AMC Plus, you could watch it. And, you know, the great thing I've been watching all like the hashtags about it. I love how people are like these, you know, metal Guar fans talking about how much they cry at the movie. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it really gets the emotion there. But yeah, um, Shutter AMC Plus and eventually will be on DVD. We just had a small theatrical run, which was great through uh, Alamo Drafthouse. So everyone missed that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do uh, check it out on Shutter, you can use the code This is Guar, <laughs> all caps, no spaces. This is Guar, and you get 14 days free. And there's a great show on there called Holliston that Odorous was on. So mm. if you get on it to watch uh, This is Guar, stay on it and watch Holliston. It's a great show. And the director of it, is uh, is in the movie Adam Green? That's great, man. So, last question for you: What's the kind of the future for Guar, uh, Blothar, and, and Jizmac? Well, we're going to do this European tour that we're getting ready to leave on. Then we come back. We're going to do shows in the fall, starting in uh, I guess mid September. We're going to be doing shows that are actually part of you know touring for this album that that just came out for the New Dark Ages. So it's a whole new show. And that'll be a lot of fun. Right now, that's almost as far in the future as we've gotten, right? Because we've had a big period of production with a lot of stuff coming out. 
Uh, so right now, I think we just grind it out on tour and start thinking about, I'd really like to think about making a, another film, right? Like a guar film. Mm, it'd be great. Yeah. So looking at another record, we've been talking about doing a, a country EP, maybe. <laughs> That's something we've been talking about. Your dad will be happy. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, finally. Show him the check. Yeah. After we that country hit. Yeah. My dad still asks me the same thing. He's like, you making any money yet? I'm like, no. And he's like, I was like, but I don't have to work. I think this documentary is a good step to maybe lead us to what Mike is talking about, like doing another full length feature guar film. Cause we've been a band for so long and that's where we've kind of have been stuck in a way right there. And, and guar still hasn't done all of the plans that had originally started 30 some years ago. So we're not letting up until we get that stuff done. Well, it's a great documentary. And it was, a, like I said, really cool to watch just the, how you guys have been such a brotherhood over the last 30 years. Uh, let's leave with this. Favorite Guar song. What's your favorite Guar song to, to play, guys? And, and what's your favorite for the director and producer of the documentary? That's so hard. You know, the, the thing about Guar that I love so much is they've done, there is no Guar sound. There is, but there isn't. You know, there is something that, keeps it all together but um ah uh, can i go last can i think about that go last i'm gonna say i still love sick of you that's still my favorite <laughs> i was gonna say sick of you or the 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 song that was on um empire records gotcha what is that sadama gogo oh, okay yeah they play it for a second and then they play some other music <laughs> that's like something like that my favorite actually there's a song called that's on the uh the album called this toilet earth i really like space cake issue of tissue is what it's called and i like it just because it's it's got a king crimson part in it like you know it's right. just like super weird and and heavy but it's very sort of prog rock and rocky's lyrics and his singing on it are so funny so i'm into that brad you know i always like the songs we're doing that are the newest the songs i kind of look at music in a real linear fashion man once i've done it it's done and like i'm always looking forward to the next song so there's stuff on the new record that i really like playing that some of the guys mike included wrote that was kind of something that i wouldn't i would need to play as a drummer so when they come up with riffs and i have to or even sometimes they come up with songs with drum machines and stuff on them it's cool starving gods it's got a soca beat he gets to play a soca <laughs> yeah that's the most interesting stuff that's the most interesting stuff. So I got to say anything off the new record, probably Starving Gods. Scott? I'm going to have to do a, uh, a two-parter here. One with the uh, Brocky era, one with the Bishop era. I just love that song, Madness at the Core of Time. I think that everything on that is, is so awesome. The drums, the guitar. Brocky's, I don't understand how he says that many words that, that quick. Me either. <laughs> and then I really love this place. I think that that's a, it's such an anthem. You know, you see people just chanting along all the time. You can relate to that, whether you're at your job or whatever. I love I love the fact that it kind of retells <laughs> the story of Guar, how they were stranded here. They had sex with apes and created humans, and <laughs> now they hate us. So I, I love that it was kind of a reintroduction if people were just finding out about it at that time. Well, guys, thank you so much, man. Like I said, it's been great talking to you guys, and congratulations, and hopefully we'll see you down the road somewhere. Thank you. At a festival. That'd be fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. <laughs>